I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. Of all the wonderful, fascinating enigmas that lie in the space above us, few would argue that there is a more compelling unknown than black holes. Are they the thread that binds separate universes? Conversely, are they just simply a huge lurking vacuum? Or are they any and everything in between? The truth is, we don't know. Sarah Gallagher from the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Western University studies how black holes grow and form. We sat down to discuss her research and the greater mystery surrounding black holes. How much of what we know about black holes is based on direct evidence and how much of our knowledge is based on indirect evidence? So it depends to some extent all evidence that we have in astronomy is indirect because the way we get information about the world is from the light that comes to us. So something happens out in the universe and the light travels through space and time to our telescopes and we observe it and then we have to interpret it. And so in some sense all we know about black holes is indirect. But even more so because black holes themselves don't actually give off any light. So we don't have any light that comes directly from the black hole. We only see the effect of the black hole on its environment. And there's one way in which that happens where if you have gas that's falling into a black hole, so it's swirling around kind of like a whirlpool and it loses energy. And then as it loses energy, it gives off light and then it can fall into the black hole. And so we see the light from that whirlpool around it that we call the accretion disk, and that's how we learn about the black hole. We can also learn about black holes if they have a companion, another star that's orbiting around them. And the first black hole that we had really strong evidence for was a black hole that had a companion star, and you can watch the motion of that companion star, and you know, because of its motion, that there's something else there that we can't see that's causing it to wobble. And, and we can measure precisely the mass of that object that's causing it to wobble, and that's how we determine the mass of the first black hole. Right, so it's a pretty spectacular theory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is spectacular. It, how do you it's sort of, Right, so there, were, there was a lot of circumstantial evidence that there were black holes out there. There was actually, quite a long time ago, there was a physicist named Laplace who basically was studying gravity and realized that if you take gravity to its extreme, you should wind up with something that is so dense that there's no force that is able to hold it up against its own gravity, and it should crush down into a black hole. And another way of sort of defining a black hole is that you think of it as an object where in order to escape from it, in order to have a speed that's fast enough to escape from the black hole, it has to be uh, as fast or faster than the speed of light. And that's the formal definition of a black hole. And that was, um, that surface where that's the case is called the event horizon. And the event horizon is the surface within which the black hole exists and we cannot know anything about what happens past that event horizon. Um, on that surface of the event horizon and past it, um, the gravity of the black hole will affect the objects around it and the material around it. Um, but once you cross that event horizon, you can't know anything else. It's, it's a one-way street. We just don't know what happens after, after that happens. 
Now, I'm interested to know, are there different types of black hole? I know they differ in size, but are there particular differences between one black hole to another? So black holes are actually remarkably simple objects. So you can completely describe them with three numbers. The mass of the black hole, the spin of the black hole, and the charge of the black hole. And we grossly characterize black holes in terms of whether they're stellar mass black holes, about the same mass as our sun, or up to say 100 times the mass of our sun, or supermassive black holes, which are say a million to a billion times the mass of our sun. There's nothing really fundamentally different about them, except that we find them in different locations. So the supermassive black holes are always in the centers of galaxies, and stellar mass black holes are found throughout galaxies. So there are many, many stellar mass black holes that we know about in our galaxy. But all it is is the spin and the mass, and that's it. So they're extremely, extremely simple objects. Sounds like the plight of humanity will come from a stellar black hole. <laughs> um, we actually don't need to worry about black holes in that sense, because um, if our sun, for example, turned into a black hole tomorrow, it would not affect the orbit of the Earth. So it would, uh, the Earth would simply keep on orbiting the same old orbit. It would, of course, be dark. But it's only objects that are quite close to a black hole that know the difference between a black hole or an object of a more normal object like a star. It's only when you're quite close that it really matters. So, um, and black holes are actually quite rare in the universe. So um, the chance that the sun will encounter a black hole as it orbits the galaxy is extremely, extremely, extremely small. So we don't have to worry about being swallowed by the giant supermassive black hole in the center of our galaxy. Uh, so now let's shift to your work. So you look at how they grow. Yes. And so could you just give me an explanation of how a black hole grows? Sure. So when you have a black hole that is in the center of a galaxy, if there is material that is close to that black hole, um, gas, which is the fuel for star formation, so all galaxies are filled with gas, um, that gas, as it gets close to the black hole, um, the needs to lose energy in order to fall into the black hole. And so what happens is it will settle into a disk and the material will orbit around the black hole. And to lose energy, it will get hot with there's a sort of friction in the, um, in the disk of orbiting gas. So it will get very hot and it'll give off light. And then the material can then fall into smaller, uh, closer and closer to the black hole and eventually fall into it. So that, um, that system is called a quasar, so that's what you call it when a supermassive black hole is growing. Um, quasars are basically machines that convert gravitational energy to light, and they do it incredibly efficiently. They do it much more efficiently than the sun converts um, mass into energy through fusion. So they're among the most efficient um, processes we know in the universe for making energy, for generating energy. And this tiny black hole, it's tiny compared to a galaxy, so a black hole system is a few light years across, and it's in a galaxy which is 100,000 light years across. But that tiny system of the quasar with its accretion disk and the gas falling into the black hole can outshine the trillions of stars in the galaxy by a thousand times. <laughs> so they are very, very efficient engines for converting gravitational energy to light. That is nowhere near an intimidating enough a name for the process <laughs> of the black hole eating. Uh -huh. But what, what does that understanding of how they grow and survive unlock for us? There's a couple things that are really, um, really interesting about black holes. One is that if we really want to understand 
how physics works on all different scales, you have to really probe the extreme ends of it. And it doesn't get much more extreme than a supermassive black hole. Um, that's where our understanding of gravity, for example, really gets tested and pushed because it's such an extreme environment. And it's not the sort of environment that you can ever test in the lab. So you have to go out and look in the universe in order to understand that. Um, there are also um, processes that have to do with growing black holes that are related to how galaxies evolve. So um, we live in a galaxy, the Milky Way, um, and our galaxy has been changing over the history of the universe. And if we want to understand how our galaxy changed over the history of the universe, a big part of that is understanding how the supermassive black hole in the center of it grew. Um, it's just part of the galaxy, so part of understanding galaxies is understanding that piece. And the other um, way that it's linked to how galaxies change is that as that black hole is growing and it's giving off tremendous amounts of energy, that energy can affect the galaxy itself. Um, the light that it sends out, it can send out x-rays and gamma rays and lots of um, really intense radiation. And that light itself can actually blow really, really fast winds because the light, every photon of light, every particle of light packs a little bit of a punch. And so it can, um, that light from that accretion disk, which is glowing so, so brightly, um, can drive really fast winds up to tens of thousands of kilometers per second into the galaxy. And those really fast winds can impact what the galaxy does later. It might cause stars to form because it causes giant clouds of gas to compress and form stars, or it might be so energetic that it just clears all of the gas out of the galaxy, which will prevent that galaxy from ever forming stars again. So both of those are quite important for the history of the universe, and that's how that tiny black hole in the center of the galaxy can impact the much bigger system that it lives in. Wow. Uh, so it just clears, so it, that wind's not used for bringing stuff into the black hole, it's actually used for clearing the path. Right. The well, the, the wind actually serves more than one function in the system because one thing that the gas has to do before it can fall into the black hole is it has to lose energy. And in particular, it has to lose its rotational energy. So the material is swirling around and it has to lose that rotational energy in order to fall into the black hole. And those winds can actually carry that rotational energy away, which allows the stuff that's in the accretionist to fall into the black hole. So we think they're quite important actually for growing them as well as for impacting the galaxy that they live in. And this is what you specifically look at more than anything. And so how do you look at this from here at Western? <laughs> so um, I use telescopes from around the world and from the ground and from space. So when you have light from that accretion disk, which I said is so luminous that it can outshine thousands by a thousand times the stars in the galaxy, that light, there is a signature for, of everything that is imprinted on the light um, leaves a mark. And so when you look at the light and you take it and you, you look at it as a spectrum where you take the light and you spread it out so you can look at all the wavelengths separately, you'll see specific marks for specific atoms. And what you can do is you can look at the signature in the spectrum and actually learn a tremendous amount about the material in the wind. You can learn um, how ionized it is, how much stuff is in it, how fast it's moving. Um, and if you have a really beautiful spectrum, you can learn where it is in relation to 
the black hole. So with all of that information together, we can learn quite a lot about the winds. Um, what we want to know is how much material is in them, um, what their shape is. Those are the sorts of things we want to know, but we can use the spectrum to try to figure all of that out. Right, and so my last question is, there seems to be some pretty radical theories or misconceptions about black holes out there. Like the climax in any sci-fi space movie is when they get close to a black hole and it's people playing with that idea of the great unknown. What aspects of black holes do you hear that like are purely based on speculation? So one idea people have is that black holes sort of suck things in. And that's not quite exactly what happens. Um, as I mentioned before, if you have, if the Earth, if the Sun turned into a black hole tomorrow, the Earth's orbit would not be affected. So um, the black hole, the effect of the extreme environment of the black hole only happens really close to the black hole. There is part of it, though, that is wonderful for speculation because once material crosses the event horizon, we have no information about what happens to it. We just don't know. So there's an idea that a black hole could be a wormhole, which could be a path to another part of the universe. That could actually be true. So the theory of general relativity allows that to be true. We just don't know if we live in that kind of a universe. So in that sense, speculate away. I mean, we have no information about something once it passes the event horizon. It could be, black holes could be filled with leprechauns and rainbows. We just, we have, we don't know. All we know is the mass and the spin. So once something passes that event horizon, we have no information about what happens afterwards. There are theories actually that every black hole creates a new universe. And so the most likely universe we live in is one with lots and lots of black holes. Who knows? I, I don't know. So that's one thing that I think is really fantastic about them is they're in one sense so simple, but also very, very mysterious. And there's something that's ultimately unknowable about them, which which I, I'm okay with. I mean, as a scientist, I don't need to know everything. Mm -hmm. I want to know how they grow and I want to know how they affect what's happening around them. But there is this essential part of them that we're, that's just unknowable, which I think is, is pretty extraordinary. I, I like that the science right now is so based on moving forward and looking, what can we do with this, progress and advance it more. But I actually like how black holes, it covers that. They're unknowable, like there's so much to learn. But then there's also the question of how did they get here? Like there's questions about moving backwards too, which I think is really nice, makes it really just a really cool topic. For sure. So um, we're not really sure how you get supermassive black holes in the centers of galaxies. So we, um, we know how you get a stellar mass black hole. If you have a really massive star, at the end of its life, it will explode as a supernova, and the cinder that it leaves afterwards can be a black hole. So that's how, we, uh, that's how the universe can make black holes that are you know, several times the mass of our sun. But to make the really big ones, we don't know how you make those. So the best idea about how that happens is that in a very, very early universe, the very first stars were different than the stars that are made today because they were only made from hydrogen and helium, the remnants after the Big Bang. So those first generation of stars were much, much more massive than the stars that are made today. And so their cinders that they leave, leave after their life is done and they've exploded in a supernova are going to be quite large black holes, maybe a hundred times the mass of the sun or several hundred times the mass of the sun. 
And those black holes, the seed black holes from the very early universe, the very first generation of stars, um, over time they will merge together and they will fall to the centers of galaxies um, because they're very dense and very massive, so they'll tend to, to sink towards the center of gravity. And, those, um, and then they can grow over time as quasars. So that's how we think that we get the black holes in the centers of galaxies. Wow. It's some heavy duty stuff. <laughs> this is absolutely the largest scale podcast. <laughs> it's impossible to comprehend something that may casually be a hundred million times the size of our sun. But with research like Sarah's, we can come to understand black holes in the same grounded way we've come to understand everything we can feel and touch on Earth as living, growing things. I'm Henry Standage signing out. Thanks for listening.